2: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have an anthology coming out called Moms Don't Have Time Two, a quarantine anthology, and it comes out on February 16th and has essays by 60 plus of the authors who have been on this podcast. So first of all please pre-order this book I think you will love it. I'm so excited about all the authors who are represented um, just to give you a few um, Chris Bajalian uh, Jewel Parker Rhodes Ashley Prentice Norton, Gretchen Rubin Rima Zaman, Eileen Zimmerman and that is just from the first page of the multi-page table of contents so please pick up this book Moms Don't Have Time To a quarantine anthology. It's available and. Anywhere you buy books, amazonbookshop.org and your local independent bookstore. So please pick up a copy. And also, I want to invite you listeners to my um, fundraiser slash launch party the night it comes out on February 16th, a Tuesday at 7 p.m., Bookhampton and the Children's Museum of the East End are co-hosting it for me, and 50 of the authors who wrote essays in this book, as well as many of the amazing authors who blurbed this book, um, who wrote little praiseworthy quotes at the at the front, will be there, and you can be there too. health system. And it is named after my husband's mother who passed away from COVID over the summer, which many of you followed along on Instagram as I uh, recounted that horrific experience. So all the proceeds are going there. The cost includes the price of a book. So thank you for supporting this effort and for supporting my book. I can't wait to see you there. Today's episode has been sponsored by Chicken Soup for the Soul, Making Me Time 101 Stories About Self Care and Balance, edited by Amy Newmark. This is a fantastic collection of essays, and everyone will find something relatable and that they can use to make their lives better within these essays. Cheng Rei Li is the author of Native Speaker, winner of the Hemingway Foundation slash Penn Award for First Fiction as well as the author of On Such a Sea*, A Gesture Life, A Loft, and The Surrendered, which was the winner of the Dayton Peace Prize and a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. He currently teaches writing at Stanford University. And today we're going to talk about his latest novel, which is called My Year Abroad. Welcome, chang Ray. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read
1: Books. Oh, my pleasure.
2: First of all, I feel like I am catching you at such a moment because just this weekend, you were like front page of the New York Times book review and another review elsewhere. And like, you're just everywhere. What does that feel like to you to wake up and see your book and your life sort of plastered on all traditional media? What is that like?
1: Well, you know what, to tell you the truth, I try not to look at those things okay. for a while. <laughs> I do, however, uh, and, and especially reviews, you know, sometimes a profile I'll read just, uh, just out of curiosity, but I try not to read reviews until after the book is out for a while, just so, um, you know, my head's clear and, you know, I want to talk about the things I want to talk about, Yeah, <laughs> to try to, you know, even scores, <laughs> and also because I respect, you know, that that's their job and That's their opinion, and it's all fine and dandy. Yeah. But I do did get, you know, I my phone did blow up a little bit. I <laughs> with, bet, yeah. With all the, with all the uh, news and you know kudos and congrats, which is always so wonderful, you know. And you know, I've been lucky in the past, you know, gotten some nice you know, recognition and notices for my previous book. So, and I'm not just not to say that this is old hat for me, but it's gratifying. And, you know, one writes a book and you never know what's going to happen. And you just, I suppose all you really want is the chance to get in front of people's, you know, get their attention just for a little bit and see if they might you know, want to take a look. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, a writer, is, it's the writer's art is a solitary one, but in the end, you know, we do want people to, sh- we do want to share our work. So, yes. so that's great. Well, yes, yeah.
2: I am familiar with your past accolades as well, but I don't know. I just <laughs> thought I should bring up the, the current torrent.
1: <laughs> well, people have been commenting, friends have been commenting. because there's a lot of photographs, I guess, in one article. And I was in a in those photographs I was wearing like board shorts and a, <laughs> like a, and a Hawaiian shirt. And the uh, people were commenting on how skinny my legs were. So I I kept telling people, well, had I known they're gonna take pictures like that, I would have been bulking up this whole pandemic.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you gotta, so, <laughs> go to the like the ankle lift machine or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Leg, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about how you even started writing. Like take me back to the beginning and like when did you know you were a writer? And like when did you realize like novels were your thing? And tell me the whole thing.
1: Uh, Well, professionally, I didn't really know until quite late that, you know, probably in graduate school, working on my first novel that was published, I wrote a novel before that that was never published. And I think that was the first time I felt as if that I was taking it as seriously as, say, my teachers were taking me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think before that, I hoped to be a writer. I had dreams of being a writer. I had fantasies of being famous and, you know, writing great books rather than really being focused and committed to actually writing a good book. (laughs) Those are two (laughs) very different things, you know, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, everyone would love to be, you know, wonderful at something, but especially I think with, you know, the idea of the great the great writer, right? Someone who's you know inspired by the gods and somehow, you know, flowing through their veins onto the onto the pages, you know, beauty and glory. But but I think I was pretending more, you know, hoping, <laughs> hoping, and maybe that at that point, you know, because I'd always loved reading, I'd always loved, enjoyed writing, you know, as a schoolboy and and as I grew older. But actually, thinking I have to do this work and I care about doing this work rather than. I want to be a writer and I care about being a writer, (laughs) (laughs) you know, the, 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 the posture and position of a writer. And maybe I was too focused on that.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And when you say you grew up like loving to read and all that, like what is your, what are some of your go-to books or the types of books that you like to read? And even now?
1: Well, now I read all kinds of books. I read novels, of course. And, you know, I'm a pretty passionate a newspaper reader, I guess online now. Newspaper reader, but when I was a kid, I I had a slightly different reading. I would say reading, you know, kind of beginnings. Uh, most kids, you know, they had they read all the classic children's books, and well, they're introduced to the, to those by their parents. And because my parents were immigrants and you know weren't really comfortable in English and had no idea about the books that they were supposed to show me, I didn't have anyone read to me. I you know, depended on librarians and my my teachers. And so I ended up just kind of on my own. You know, I remember joining Book of the Month. My my parents signed me up for like Book of the Month Club and, <laughs> and but they had no idea what to choose. So I, you know, in a funny way, I was left to my my own devices. And I I picked these really strange books <laughs> that, were, <laughs> that, that probably weren't suitable for young kids. <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs>
2: right.
1: How book right. of the
2: month destroyed angry <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: trajectories. <laughs> so right. And, Yeah, so that's, uh, but you know. Uh, that was, I guess, just as well.
2: <laughs> you know, it's interesting to hear you describe yourself as a, as like an avid newspaper reader. I love reading newspapers, and I read them in print. And I felt like I, I, keep longing to talk to somebody who also reads them in print too, but it seems to just be me.
1: Well, we used to until recently, and then my wife said, "No, it's we just too much paper around. It's, we, I don't want to recycle it all." So
2: <laughs> yeah, my husband keeps taking all the papers and throwing them into the fire, and I feel like I can't even read them fast enough. You know, <laughs> I'm like. Wait, I haven't read that section. Give me five uh, more minutes. Anyway, uh, well, tell me about my year abroad. And and did you have to do research to do this? Like, tell me about, you know, witness protection and sketchy <laughs> people in Escalades and, you know, writing skateboards around cul-de-sacs and like all of that. Like, how do you, how did you come up with that type of stuff? How did you inhabit these different characters?
1: Well, as you're suggesting, there's a a wide range of characters, (laughs) locales, situations. You know, I did kind of want to cram the entire world into this book. (laughs) And uh, the book was a lot longer, if you can believe it. Really? (laughs) Yeah. But it's like anything else, you know, the China parts, I, I had been doing research like my last novel had a China component to it and so you know about seven to ten years ago I was doing a lot of research on, on modern and uh, modern Chinese history and contemporary China so that part helped with a part of the story and particularly the the heroes of the story the Chinese businessman in, in this novel named Pong. but the other stuff you know I guess it's just about being in life and also the, the narrator of this novel, Tiller, is a 20-year-old kid. And, and because I'm a college professor and now my daughters are in their early 20s, I just have a, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with 20-something-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I, and, you know, as, as most writers are, I think we're pretty attentive to how people talk, the kinds of things they're interested in. And, and how they're in the world. And, and so I, I think it was, in some ways, it came naturally to me, even though I'm in my mid-50s, maybe being a college professor, too. You know, my students never grow old. You know, <laughs> they're always the same age. And, and sometimes sometimes, uh, you know, it sounds pathetic, but sometimes I kind of feel like, oh, I'm the same age. too.
2: (laughs) We'll we'll pretend, we'll we'll pretend.
1: (laughs) You know, that I'm just sitting in class and, you know, I don't see how old I am to them and, and we're just talking. And so I think I've, I think through osmosis and, and delight, you know, I've taken up a lot of their interests. And of course these days with, the way social media is and the internet, you know, so much information is at hand and, and not just for me as the writer, but as, you know, for the character, I, you know, for the purpose of thinking about this 20 year old kid, you know, so much is, is, you know, within his grasp to know and to, to mimic and to, you know, kind of play back to us. And so, yeah, (laughs) research is easier than it's been, (laughs) but I still think you have to go out in the world, which I, which I tell my students.
2: And was any of it at all based on your real life? I know that like novelists hate to be asked that question, but I'm always so curious. Like, did you have a moment where you snuck into a, you know, like a members only golf club as a caddy and, or, you know, like did (laughs) any of that stuff happen to you?
1: Well, you know, I, I do play some golf, so I know about caddies and I did, do karaoke <laughs> like, uh, when I go to Korea. Uh, although I'm mostly just a you know a listener <laughs> rather than a singer. <laughs> so there are there are a couple things that you know obviously that I've had experience with. Other things in the novel, I'm glad to say that I didn't have any personal experience <laughs> with. Yeah. <laughs> given given the extreme nature of a lot of yes. the stuff that happens, but that, of course that's the fun part of writing, right? Yeah. You can you can go anywhere you want and.
3: Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts.
1: And most of all, maybe most importantly, is, you know, sometimes we write not out of our desires for something, but of our fears of something. Mm. And so that's sometimes, you know, where lots of scenes in this novel and other novels of mine come from.
2: So what are you really afraid of?
1: <laughs> afraid of pain, okay. rejection.
2: <laughs> Keep going. It's okay. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: <laughs> you know, just humiliation, you know, all those things, all the things that happened to Tiller Wow. and maybe also, you know, in a more you know, real vein, you know, losing someone you love. Yeah. And that, you know, is a fear that I've had all my life and I still have, especially now with daughters and, you know, I think about them and, and that's 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 the stuff of what drives I think you know a lot of writers this unspecific kind of fear for mm-hmm. things and and then we find the shape of them in seemingly unrelated scenes but but it's still there
2: and do you feel like it helps? like do you feel like after you address it in fiction, you feel any better or do you still carry around the same fears? like do you-
1: <laughs> no, you don't feel better <laughs> <laughs> you you I think you maybe can maybe not understand it, but kind of can, can live with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can walk around it, peer at it maybe, and maybe it becomes something that's, it becomes more complex, mm-hmm. you know, just like people, right? Yep. The more you know somebody, the more complicated they really become. And if you want to continue thinking about them at least, and and they are who they are. that's about it (laughs) and also
2: writing about the fear at least now you've sort of shared your fear issues with all of us right so now we also feel those same fears if we didn't already so it's really like a contagion like okay if you guys feel as scared as I do about these different things it'll somehow make me feel a little better
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well well, we all vicariously you know experience life sometimes we don't want to experience life right because it's just too much Yeah. yeah yeah That's the job of novelists and friends.
2: And to many, I feel like a good novel is like a really close friend. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's why so many people turn to novels in like the worst times of their lives. And, you know, you can escape immediately. And I
1: don't know. You know, I think that's absolutely right. You know, it gives you a way to live in a consciousness that you wouldn't choose yourself, but that you can, you know, play out things with. Right. Because it's not just that you're passively reading stuff that happens. You're also kind of thinking back on it and thinking, thinking upon it and thinking about yourself in those situations. And, you know, it's an active experience. Yeah. It's not just watching.
2: No, right? totally. Yeah. And your emotions get so triggered by it as well. I mean, right. you're in it. It's like, yeah you're just, yeah. I, the amount of times I've like closed my eyes, you know, hands over my eyes while reading, like peeking through my fingers. <laughs> I'm like this is not going well.
1: <laughs> well, did you have that? Did you have that feeling? reading my book? <laughs> I read the whole thing.
2: I was okay. It was okay. I, I made it through. I made it through. <laughs> so what was your writing process like, like for this book in particular, like, do you outline it ahead of time? How do you, do you have like an office where you have post-its everywhere? What, does your sort of writing environment look like
1: well i don't have post its everywhere i do i do write little notes to myself but sometimes i don't look at those notes or i lose them mm-hmm. <laughs> i think it's more a way to put down things and then the things that stick i kind of don't have to rely on notes for mm-hmm. they kind of build up in my head so i do do some planning but those are you know those plans are pretty general right and so I like to find my way to those plans. If I'm diverted by some interesting thing a character says, or this digression feels right, I'll just go with it. And that's something that I've learned over the years is not to try to engineer things too much. Because mm-hmm. when you engineer things too much, it can kind of feel flat mm-hmm. and, and a little bit airless. And especially this book, which is so much about you know what, what life is and what vitality is and you know, what it is to to feel something. I didn't want it, certainly didn't want this book to be, to feel like it was planned out.
2: Well, I mean, it takes a considerable amount of skill to do that. I mean, if I sat down and tried to just wing it, it might not work that well. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel like you need to get to a place of, of sort of mastery of some of the finer points of fiction. I mean, I know there's some people who are just starting out who have to map it almost like a screenplay, right? With different beats and different this and you know.
1: Uh, yeah. I I mean, I don't think that's that's unhelpful. I think that's that can be good. I just I would just always say, yeah, map the whole thing out, but don't let yourself to it. Mm-hmm. You know? And once you're in a certain place and if things are happening in an interesting way that you hadn't planned, don't try to bend it back towards that other plan. Mm-hmm. Because because maybe you're not ultimately interested in that other plan. You know, we we actually don't know what we're interested in half the time when we start a novel. We think we're interested in this, in X, but actually it's X prime or Y or Z. And once you figure that out, that's when, you know, you're writing something that's distinctive and singular and just you rather than writing something you think you should write for someone else.
2: It's also, I mean, you could have just said that same thing about life, right? We try to make all these plans, mm-hmm. and we have all these things in our calendar, and yet maybe we get there and we don't want to go to that event <laughs> right but exactly. it's, it's all just like a guidepost to make you feel like you have a path, but really, we just end up doing whatever we want in the end, essentially,
1: right. well, well, that's what people always ask, and you know me sometimes, what was your path and journey? What was your story as a writer and and I say, oh, as a storyteller, I know there is no story. Mm. And that's all just a dream. That's all something that we put up on mm. our lives after the fact to make sense of it and to make sense of it to other people. But actually, no, there's no story. Mm. There's no story. Things happen for good, for bad, for you know, for worse sometimes. But I don't know. We make. We need to make sense of it. Sure, that's why we tell ourselves stories. Mm. But but no, no. Uh, there's no sense of it at all. This doesn't mean that it's hopeless. It's just, you know, just accept the fact that you're a storyteller.
3: <laughs> well,
2: I feel like my high school my high school English teacher used to say that fiction is really just the illustration of change. So yes. I yes. feel like in that way, you know, story. It is almost a story. I mean, everything and right. We are constantly everything. It, it, yeah,
1: everything is a story, but don't. It, it's but we don't play out stories, right? right. I right. mean, uh, you know, my life as a success story, or my life to hear well, as true. a story, yes. a story of reconciliation, or a story of you know, it's great to say and it's great to put that in. If if you can live well by it, sure, great. But I don't really feel like that's that's really the way it goes. That's true. Uh, and, and going back to the novel, I always felt like <laughs> that's, you know, that's sort of how I thought of, you know, the people in the novel is that they're not, they're not planning anything. I mean, especially the the hero of the novel, he's, he's just kind of on the rough seas and just kind of being tossed about and, and trying to make sense of all these things for his own life.
2: Wow. So what did you do with all of the stuff that didn't make it into the book? Where is it? Is it like, what are you going to do with it? Or is it just well, on the cutting room floor, so to speak?
1: No, it is. Yeah, it's it's on in snippets here and there. There's some scenes that I really like that, you know, I wish could have been in there and... But they're funny or something, and but they're they're lost for good. They're useless for anything else.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like this is like an obnoxious question to ask when someone has just come out with like this massive book. But what's coming next for you? (laughs) Are you working on anything else? Or
1: yeah, I work on you know trying to figure out what the next project is because I write novels only. I don't really write short stories. You know, I have to make a big commitment to it, so I have to pretty be you know. be pretty sure that this is it. And so I, I do some like test novels Hmm. where I'm testing out different kinds of books and different kinds of narrative modalities and different kinds of voices. And so I'm working with maybe three different ones right now and trying to, you know, figure out which one I, I care most about and that I'm most curious about and that, you know, delights me in the ways that it needs to delight me to sustain years of work <laughs> 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 which is something that you know again I had to learn through trial and error you know sometimes you know you think oh yeah that's a cool story I'd like to do that but sometimes that cool story isn't the one you care about most Interesting, you know and and so so I, I've learned through you know some unfortunate things where I'm throwing away a novel because in the end I was like huh you know kind of was not really the thing I I was so jazzed about uh, Mm. that and that I can continually be curious about Hmm. uh, and discover that's the key for me
2: so I'm just wondering have you ever shared with your daughters I'm sure you have but have you shared with them your sort of fear of something happening to them and how that you're sort of coping with that informs your novels because if not I feel like you should tell them
1: No, well, every day I tell them (laughs) that I fear for their lives. I don't want anything bad. (laughs) And nothing to do with my work. Just, (laughs) just, just our sanity, you know. And of course, they they're not in danger. But you know, just but we know the world is a as we know now. You know, the world is a place where you know it can get you back. You know, this is a book too that you know I want to celebrate the world in this book and celebrate you know all the things that can happen. But but part of that is also that world can, you know, take a chunk out of you too mm-hmm. from, through no fault of your own. And, uh, yeah.
2: Well, do you have any advice for aspiring authors aside from the 8 million things you've already said, <laughs> which are all great pieces <laughs> of advice, but I just like to, you know, if, if there's one sort of nugget to, to share at the end.
1: Well, especially for, for pe- pe- people starting out or in younger people who might, you know, enjoy writing is that I think, they have to read as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, don't, don't write, don't read about writing, Mm -hmm. read, just read (laughs) and any kind of books, anything, really anything. And especially the things you like, but, but don't, don't, don't get into writing advice. Don't read writing advice, just read. And I think that's probably my number one bit of writing advice.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I've been debating, sort of collecting all this amazing writing advice that everybody has given me on my podcast into some sort of book. But now you're saying, don't read writing advice books. So now I'm thinking maybe I should just scrap that idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Writing advice books have good advice, but again, they're not applicable to you because it depends on what you're doing. Yeah. What is applicable is just having a deep and wide and and varied reading experience. That way, all this kind of language, storytelling, voices... You know, lingual music is there for you, not to copy, but just to, to be part of who you are.
2: Yeah. All right. Okay, fine. I'll scrap it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Chang Ray, for coming on this podcast. I'm sorry again about being a few minutes late. And I just love talking to you. Congratulations on all of your success. And I'm hoping that by the next time we see you in board shorts, you're, you're, Calves are much more.
1: Defined. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Me too. Good, Me good too. luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Sibi. I'm
2: just kidding. Okay. Well, have a great day and thank you so much.
1: Okay. Okay. Bye
2: bye. Thanks to today's sponsor, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Making Me Time 101 Stories about Self Care and Balance, edited by Amy Newmark.